podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, October 4th. Simply put, it was a stunning day of tennis across the professional tennis world. Of course, it helps to have the quality of events that we do this week. And I would just like to say this again. It is October 4th. All four of the year's major events in the rearview mirror. Yeah, we still have a 1,000-level event for both the men and the women. Yes, we still have the race to the year-end championships. But to see the quality of each draw at the tour level this week, to see the quality of these matches through the first round of play. Folks, this is one of those weeks. Clear your schedule. If you got a date on Friday, tell them I apologize. We're going to have to move this to Saturday, to Sunday, maybe even to next week. Things are going to be that good all week long in the pro tennis world. And of course, here on our Tuesday editions of the Mini Break Podcast, we run the same segment each and every week. Dare I say, it's the show I look most forward to each and every week. And it's a show we call Tennis Point Tuesday, where our guy, Nate Walworth from Tennis Point, not only breaks down the latest and greatest equipment in the tennis world, but helps me discuss every storyline you need to watch for this week as a tennis fan. And joining me on today's Today's edition of Tennis Point Tuesday, as he always does, is a man I know is as hyped as anyone in the tennis world for this week of action. It's my guy, essentially a co-host of this podcast at this point, Nate Walrith. Nate, welcome back to the show. I see it in the smile on your face. It's going to be a good week. It's going to be a hell of a week. Happy Tuesday, my friend. I know you're enjoying the uh, the beautiful views sitting courtside uh, on a tennis court in L.A., Enjoying your time on the throne of Tennis Channel. I've been tuned in as much as I can, even though these matches, these start times are late. But that kind of matches up with my sleep schedule. So good to see you're out there enjoying life, out there supporting your Baylor Bears with this hat. So uh, beautiful day, beautiful Tennis Point Tuesday, and excited for the show, man. Let's get after it. couple of things. A, happy Tuesday to you as always, my friend. B, throne of Tennis Channel is, a, is uh, some healthy hyperbole here to start today's show. I will say this. I enjoy the 4 a.m. call time, I think, more than anyone in Tennis Channel history. And the people there, as I've alluded to, I think, on the show at the pa- in the past, make fun of me every morning because they're like, you know, it's just like, why are you this excited? It doesn't make sense. And I'm like, guys, I'm watching tennis for the next five hours. I'm going to be locked into the best action in the world. It does not get much better than that. But to your point... I'm not going to forget our roots here at Crack Rackets. No matter what we're doing at other locations in the tennis world, we're always going to make time for this mini break podcast. I'm always going to be repping some sort of college squad to Nate's point today. It's the Baylor Bears. Last Friday when Vukic and Kovacevic were playing, I repped the ILL to the offices at Tennis Channel. And one of my favorite questions to get is like, how many schools did you attend, Alex? It's just like you you come in with a different hat every day, which I try to do just to mix things up. And I'm like, no, it's because the college tennis community is so strong and we're fortunate to be or so fortunate to be a part of it here at Crack Rackets. Anyways, that's a long tangent to say there's a lot to be excited about this week. And to your point, you're right. The hours are brutal. The action in Tokyo begins around 10 p.m. Eastern time. Then you slowly get into all the other events, right? The action uh, will begin on the WTA tour in Ostrava, in Monastir. You start to work in some action in Kazakhstan as well. The good news is I think we can go 24-7 this week, Nate, because starting tomorrow, main draw play, ITA All-Americans, Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, going to be Mark Bay steering the ship on Wednesday and Thursday. Very excited to take over that role Friday, Saturday, Sunday for all of the championship action. You can get 24 hours of tennis this week. Tiburon Challenger here in California. It is just one of those weeks. No, this part of the calendar year is underrated for that aspect alone. Like just being able to go to sleep to tennis, wake up to tennis, take your lunch break, watch tennis, get home after work before you take a little 20 minute power nap, watch tennis. I mean, I've just been circulating my days with tennis action around the world and it's been just exhilarating how many good tennis players are still playing good tennis right now this late in the calendar year. And um, I feel like you've texted me more than you ever have the whole year. It's like, dude, have you seen this draw? It's loaded. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm equally as astonished as you are, man. It's like every time I look, open these draws, whether it's the men or the women, these girls are, and guys are just packing these draws with 
I mean, whether it's a 250 or 500, it looks like a Masters 1000 level quality. Um, this week in particular, Astana and Estrava, both those draws top to bottom have caught my eye, and I know you've, you feel similar. Felix versus RBA was a first-round match in Astana. You know, Alexandrova versus Azarenka, two top 30 players, was a first-round match in Ostrava. He's Rabakano was a first-round match. First-round match? You have someone who made a slam semifinal, someone who won a slam title. They're playing first round at a 500 this week. It's laughable. And I will say there was one lie in your statement, and we need to explore a quick tangent here. The power nap is a myth. I just don't believe in its existence, Nate. I just, like, (laughs) if I'm sleeping... It's two plus hours. That's just how I operate. That's why I'm convinced I might still grow at this point of my life. Um, but it's not. A I've thing. Rec- no, I've recently adopted this mythology. Like I, it's, I think it's, a, I think it's a myth potentially. But I've tried to adapt to becoming. I used to be a two-hour nap guy, but like, yeah, with, with that's my why current, we're tall. With, ex- exactly, but with my current schedule, it's like it's really hard to find two solid hours <laughs> that you can just take a seat on it. I mean, yeah, it has been working out to find that type of time, but 20 minutes, you might wake up a little bit more tired than usual, but that's why you uh, head over to the amino acid, mix drink, throw some in your water, get, get yourself some clean energy, and you'll be all right. But no, it is a myth, and it's uh, it's been hard to, to kind of adopt that as a uh, a new way of life, but I, I feel like I need it. I come home from work, before, when I change clothes, and you see that bed, you're just like, give me 10 minutes, just give me 10, 15 minutes. I miss a lot of things from college, as everyone does. But if I were to make a top list, 1A and 1B, 1A would obviously be the people, the roommates, the fact that you walk outside and you're like instantly with three or four of your closest friends in the world. But 1B is the naps because you could always find two hours if you needed in college for that nap. And boy, there's too often that I did need it. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, welcome to adulthood. We're talking about (laughs) naps. This is nothing like it. My my roommate's playing at NKU, uh, Bartek, and just watching him come home from his morning practices and crush a nap before he goes to work. I'm just like, damn, I remember those days, man. Must be nice. I had a roommate once walk into my room as I was napping and saw that the Challenger stream was open on my laptop. And he's like, dude, you're always watching the Challenger stream. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> like, it is what it is. Um, but no, uh, again, speaking of always watching tennis, that is something you can do this week. Of course, hopefully all of you continue to make time to play some tennis yourself because I will say this. I've gotten to hit three different times in L.A., and that's more in a 10-day span than I've probably hit since college. It's been absolutely delightful and you know I've had the opportunity to play around with some different rackets while here because I didn't bring my own sticks I've gotten to play with the Wilson blade which I've thoroughly enjoyed I've gotten to play with the white Babolat racket I forget what what model that one's called I see the appeal of it it's not Mm -hmm. for me but I see the appeal of it I'm interested in playing around and so I'm going to ask you a racket centric question here Nate I know we've talked about this before if you had to say three sticks on the market right now that are the three most popular sticks you see people changing to what may they be and by the way tell us about everything going on at tennis point oh this is a good question right here all right well so first off i'll start off with the latest from yonix the e-zone we i believe ben shelton just changed to it this week he was using the v-core for a long time the older version i thought he would switch to the v-core or sorry the v-core pro I thought he would uh, switch on over to the new updated uh, purple version that you purple and green version that you see Hercotch and Tiafo repping. It does not seem to be that way. At least he is going to endorse the E-Zone uh, as well as a bunch of other slew of players, whether it's Kyrgios, Kakanakis, Casper uh, Rude. Um, I mean, everybody, Bublik, so many guys, Osaka, everybody's repping the, the E-Zone. If you're on, uh, Shapovalov was using it. I believe he's changing back to the V-Core, but the E-Zone has definitely hit the market hot it's a beautiful power stick uh it comes in the plus size model so you can get the extra half inch on the on the end of the butt cap which just gives you a little more length on the serve and the forehand so that's been a great model uh seven percent larger sweet spot than previous model just with the way the string bed is laid out uh that's probably number one number two like you just mentioned before the wilson blade v8 that's probably the hottest stick on the tour i mean everybody's using it it's very nice everybody's using it. I mean, it's probably the most popular stick I see on the college circuit as well. Uh, the Wilson blade with the hyper G combination is just a lethal combo all throughout the college and ITA circuit. So I think the Wilson blade deserves that number two spot. It's just and a great, just to, 
just to hop in on that commentary, I apologize, but I'm curious if you have heard this review on that because I can't speak to the Yonix. I can say Ben Shelton forecasted his switch to that racket on the Cracked Interviews podcast, and if you'd like to hear more about Ben and his first months as a professional player, why he was ready to make that decision, go check out that conversation. I definitely need to check that out because I think I'm curious as to why he changed because it's more this stick is so dangerous and it adds a little more power and a little more spin to his game that's already so athletic. That is, if you're if your opponents, you do not want Ben Shelton to figure out the zone. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that because when I hold the blade, it's not about the power to me. It's about the control. I feel like I can get outside the ball whenever I need to. I feel like if I'm on the run in particular, it's just a little bit easier. And this has always been my game style. And again, every game style requires a different racket. It just is easier to guide the ball with that stick where I want it to go. And it doesn't weigh so much that I feel like my swing speed is compromised. You're right. You're right on all accounts there. I mean, for one, it's got great weight. The weight's balanced is incredible. It just the way it's just, you don't feel like you're head heavy. You don't feel like you're, yes. you're, you're, you're handle heavy. Yes. So you get great weight on every shot, which is number one thing, it's but it's definitely a precise uh, racket. You got to be a preci- precision ball striker from the baseline. Someone that finds the middle of the string bed more often than not, not an aggressive, a super aggressive modern swing path like north and south. Probably that more even keeled uh, flat ball hitter is who that racket's more geared for. And you think of the players that use it, like a Sebastian Corda or a Simona Halep, um, Amanda Anasimova, people Tommy that are trying Paul, to. who guides Tommy the ball wherever it exactly. wants to go. Exactly. So, I mean, you look at the players that are using it on the market, Emma Raducanu, some people that are trying to find good pace on their ball, but a ball that penetrates through the court more than kind of finding the higher shoulder blade of, of players like you might see with an E-zone or a pure arrow. But the blade has been a phenomenal stick. It's got a great, sleek, green, like matte colorway. With it's matching. gorgeous. It's a gorgeous it's, stick as well. It is. I mean, especially at Indian Wells against that court. When oh, they, when they really first, the mountains I mean, in the background. Yes. And in the matching bag and kit. I mean, yes. it's an amazing combination from our friends at Wilson. And I'd say number three, this is tough, but – I want to be biased and say my own stick, but I'm going to go ahead and go with the Technofiber T-Fight 305. Wow. I got to do it. I have to do it. It's it's very It plays very similar, in my opinion, to the blade. Okay. I have a little bit more power with it. I like it's a little bit, in my opinion, it feels lighter through the air. Uh, I feel like I can dominate just a little bit thicker frame, um, and I feel like I can dominate the ball a tad bit better than the blade. I don't know if it's as precise as, like, like I don't know if I'm putting the ball um, – kind of is consistently in the spot I want to go with it is the blade. But I mean, the, the T-Fight stick that um, Medvedev uses is a beautiful racket. And Technofiber has got some special sticks over there with the T9, the 298 Iga Tempo, another great racket. But I'll, I'll go ahead and drop a stunner in there with the T-Fight in there. I wanted to go with the new Pure Arrow, but I'm, I'm still in the midst of making the adjustment over from my plus to that one right now. So I, I, to, be, uh, to be continued on that one. To be candid, though, with our listeners, if you were to go by sales, would that Babolat racket be in the top three? For sure. 100%. Right, because that's still a top seller. But again, I I just feel like you know what you're getting with that racket at this point. And so it's fascinating to hear about the Technofiber. I'll say this. On the Alex Power Rankings, Graphite's still my number one guy. I'll never die on you. I won't say the P word just in case, of course, Dave Limpke listens. Um which he won't, so I could say it. Um, but should I say it just to, you know, the P word, by the way, Prince. Um, it's been said. So, you know, if I get the text from him, we know he listened. Um, Blade's number one on the Alex Gruskin power rankings right now. I'll say that. I really, really liked it, and I don't say that lightly. With that said, you know what else I really, really liked? All the things being offered on Tennis Point. And, again, I want to give you the final word here. Tell me what's up. No, last two words on the rackets, just because the rackets are where I feel like I'm most of my passion towards tennis right now and the gear side has gone into shoes and rackets and string. I think with the rackets, the last notes, if you're a head product fan, I think the extreme and radical are two of the most beautiful, best designed sticks on the market. I mean, if you're someone that wants spin, check out the extreme. I mean, it's amazing racket. And if you're someone that wants an all around stick, some power, some spin, some control, the radical that you see Fritz, Diego, uh, Sloan, all those players, Quan, uh, that is a unbelievable stick. I mean, I, if they came in the plus, if that if they gave me that extra half inch on the butt cap, I'd probably have a radical in my hand. Yeah, I like to hear that. No, I mean, 
There are a lot of good sticks out there. And again, to each their own. And you can find all of them available on tennis-point.com. Of course, as we move closer to the offseason, Nate and I will spend even more time geeking out on the gear before we get into some of the fun shows we have planned. And for what it's worth, we already came up with our first offseason show uh, in our conversations prior to recording today. But with that said... As excited as I am about everything offered at tennis-point.com, I am equally, if not more excited, about the action we see this week on and in the professional tennis world. To be blunt, simply stunning. You look at every single draw, you can find whatever narrative you're you're looking for, whether it be a player on the fringes of the top 100 looking to solidify themselves, players who have made quiet leaps forward here this season, players who have taken massive jumps, of course. We also had a couple of headline results here on Tuesday, and that's where I want to start. Let's begin on the ATP side. Two 500-level events, you have the world number one and world number two playing this week, and both of them have been eliminated from their respective events. Let's start with Carlos Alcaraz in Astana. Alcaraz playing his first tour-level event since ascending to the world number one ranking and capturing his maiden slam title at uh, the U.S. Open. Uh, For Carlos Alcaraz, yeah, we saw him play in Davis Cup, and I know he lost to Felix Anyone who watched that match knows Felix played extraordinarily well. And even in that match, despite losing it, Carlos Alcaraz kept his remarkable streak of winning at least one set in every match that he has played in 2022 alive. Well, that streak was officially snapped here on Tuesday as David Goffin, lucky loser into the main draw, lost a 3-6, 7-6, 7-6 match in the final round of qualifying to Luca Nardi, who, by the way, earned his first tour-level main draw victory today. I believe he became the third player born in 2003 to have won an ATP main draw match in 2003, Nate. We're in, like, youngest, third grade. I don't like to— I don't player I, uh, in the two, uh, top 200, and I—yeah, t- 2003, I was literally nine years old, eight years old, whatever it Yeah, was. So I, I don't like not, it. I don't like it at all. Yeah, that's not tough. a— not a fan of that. You absolutely stat. hate to see that. But if you're a David Goffin fan, a guy who has struggled with so many different injuries, it really feels like since he got hit in the eye in that match, was that like 2019, 2020, whatever it was, it feels like you can draw a direct through line from that moment to the various injuries and struggles he's gone through subsequently. That said, Goffin gets a signature victory, the sort of victory you look for to end a season as you're looking to build momentum heading towards the new year. Goffin didn't just win, he won 5-3, and and he snaps Carlos Alcaraz's streak. Again, the first match this season where Carlos Alcaraz does not win a single set. I mean, Alcaraz was the favorite, even despite the fact that you have as many top 15 players as you do in this draw, and yet Alcaraz eliminated, let's start there, your thoughts on today's performance. Did it have more to do with Goffin or more to do with Alcaraz? My first takeaway was how, I mean, Goffin was, Goffin was going to make it gritty. Like from the beginning, he was going to get into every service game despite being broken out the gates by Alcaraz. Goffin did not get kind of uh, his strategy. He stayed with his strategy, kind of kept with his game plan, stayed the course and really caused problems from getting out of defensive positions. Almost, it seemed like every rally and turning it into offense by the end of it was uh Kind of befuddling. I mean, I don't know if the court's slower or if Alcaraz or if Goffin's defense is just that good. I have to say that maybe a mixture of both, but Alcaraz's ball did not have that same, it did not get through the court with the same authority and the same pace that we had seen prior at the U.S. Open or in anywhere in the American Hardcourt series. So uh, I, I felt like there was, Alcaraz was like kind of stuttering when he was getting to the net. Like, should I come to the net or wait one more ball? Should I come to the net? And when you do that against a guy like Goffin, and you get caught in no man's land, it's, it's trouble. I mean, he's a guy that strikes the ball as well as Goffin off both wings. He's just so precise with his strokes. I mean, the one passing he shot he had, you couldn't even see him in the screen, and he wraps it around the post, down, down the line. I mean, Goffin, spectacular play, but I, I do think Carlos's level has dropped a bit, but I think a slower court, uh, I think the decision-making is less clear for him right now. That is thing number one, and it's not to detract from David Goffin's play today, but Alcaraz was was not prepared for the conditions in Astana, which might be the single slowest hard court in on the ATP tour. And I wish I had an official metric, you know, the tennis abstract surface rating. That doesn't exist yet. Jeff, that's a free idea for you. Take it wherever you'd like. We need that. Um, 
it, it was the serve. I mean, you look at the numbers, and I think anyone who watched this match, these numbers will make sense. It just felt like Carlos Alcaraz was always at either love 30 or 30 all, and never at 30 love in his service games. And he was broken only, five, well, I say only five times in this match, um, which honestly felt like he escaped a bunch of different service games. But Alcaraz won 48% of his first serve points in this match, 48% of his second serve points as well. You know, even in creating 10 breakpoint chances from himself for himself, it just felt like he was constantly behind in this match. Yeah. And, you know, even in forcing Gofen to make it a 7-5 first set, because to Alcaraz's credit, he was down 5-2 in that first set, ultimately able to work his way back. But it just felt like it required so much effort. It required him to win 10, 15, 20 ball rallies, point after point, and it just became unsustainable. And to your point, credit to David Goffin, who made this match a track meet and was, you know, that's an intimidating prospect. Nine out of 10 times, if I said who's winning, a, or, you know, 10 out of 10 in 10 attempts, we'll try that English again. Who you trust in a track meet, Carlos Alcaraz or David Goffin? I think everyone coming in would have said, oh, Alcaraz. And on a high-bouncing, slow court, for a guy who's had so much success on clay courts, you'd feel like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a layup for him. But the big thing to me was just how difficult it was for him to penetrate the court with his serve. It just felt like that yeah. serve was constantly sitting up. And it's not like Goffin was ripping winners cleanly off no. of his return of serve, but it just felt like, at worst, things were neutral. At best, he he uh, took control of the point. Gofan absorbs pace so well, and he redirects exceptionally well off the backhand. I mean, he, when you think he's going to change direction and find the down-the-line ball, he just goes a shorter and t ties the ball close to the net and throws that biting angle outside the, the doubles alley. It's just like, I, I was kept waiting for him to change direction. I'm like, wow, he's really just going to put this ball tighter over the net strap and just go find that short angle that's just caused problems because it brings it not only brings you wider, it brings you more shallow into the court. So it's just an awkward recovery step from there on out where you have to get back to your forehand side. And when when you got a faster player, go find smart enough to go behind you. It's just created an interesting uh, style of play from the beginning, I thought, with how slow that court played and go find's ability to kind of find angles point in and point out. So go find's just been slowly finding his form. I'm not like stunned by this result. I was texting, I mean, okay, I am stunned by this result, but when I go look at the grand scheme of things of like this year, of the results that I was like most surprised by, I was seeing where I put this in the category. And I'm like, I still think like, you know, Kyrgios beating Rublev one and one in Miami in 55 minutes um, is a lot more shocking than this. Taylor Fritz losing to Holt is more shocking than, but it is up there, I think in my top five or six shocking results of the year because Carlos has had so much momentum and has so much power and pace. You you would have thought he would have been able to hit Gofen off the court. No, I mean, David Goffin, by the way, how old do you think David Goffin is? I'll say 31. Give me the applause, Westoff. He is 31 years old, exactly turns 32 this September, as always, Nate. That's why we have you on this show. That's not old by any stretch of the imagination. Now, it's the back end of a prime, but like RBA at age, at age 34 statistically is having one of, if not his best season of his career. You look at the women's side, Jung Shui, 33 years old, same deal. It feels like there is still some meat on the bone for David Goffin, who, by the way, 32 and 25 overall this year. Not bad. Currently holding tough, top, you know, six, uh, 70 in the rankings. He was eight and th he's eight and thirteen now. Was seven and thirteen against top fifty opponents coming into today's match. You know, uh, one in five against top twenty opponents overall in the year. The reason I bring those numbers up, you're right. This is a shocker. This is not one you had penciled in because, particularly, again, you feel like this is a surface Alcaraz should have success on. That said, he was minus thirteen in the winning I mean, forced error ratio. It just felt like it was really difficult for him to create today. It, it was an off day. It was maybe the first off day he's had this year. And Gofana just lost to an 18 or 19 year old a day before. So it was like he wasn't like there wasn't a ton of confidence coming to the court. But he played loose today. Gofan, yeah, that it was to your it's just like he's gonna be so good. He's gonna look so good at whatever country club he settles at for the rest of his life when he's done playing. Like 50 years old, country club David Gofan will be one of the all-time country club talents. <laughs> uh, he he works the ball so well with spin i mean he just he doesn't ever over hit he just he plays so comfortably like it doesn't seem like he's ever rushed no one ever speeds him up you you can it's very hard to make go uncomfortable unless you just beat him with brutal like just pace like 
the only way you can beat him is if you're Marin Chilching the ball off the court. I mean, it's you got to be have well, when he plays like this. Him. When he plays like this, yeah, correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and look, he was former number seven in the world. This is a guy who's made multiple second weeks at slams has been in the mix. The reminder is that you know speaks to the depth that oh yeah, David Goffin emerges. That said, I have zero long term carryover on how I feel about Carlos Alcaraz after this match. It's like, oh no, a 19-year-old didn't play well after winning his first Grand Slam? Out of the GOAT discussion. Like, no. Like, again, it was one bad match. Let's, I have I have no significant reaction to Alcaraz other than, guess what? Like every 19-year-old who's ever played professional tennis, it would help if his serve got better. Yeah, Super Bowl hangover, we'll, we'll chalk it up yeah. to that. It's, uh, <laughs> it, he'll come funny. back. The, him and the Bengals are on the same recovery plan, so we're yeah. we are. All right, better long-term bet, Alcaraz or Joe Burrow? Dude, it's Alcaraz. It's Alcaraz. It's probably – I mean, the the fact that he's already won a major – He's got a ring. That's what I was going to say. But Joe Burrow was supposed to have a ring last year. Um, I keep it thorough. I got – No, I'll go go with – I mean, Alcaraz is 19 years old. It's pretty hard to bet against a 19-year-old. You got Joe Burrow's 24 years old, and you see how hard these quarterbacks get hit. You don't even know how long these guys can last on the shelf, so – yeah, I'll, I'll take Carlos. Also, one of them has torn their ACL. The other hasn't. And, you know, one of them, to your point, plays football. The other doesn't. Um, All right. With that said, other seed knocked out so far this week, FAA, which I talked about on yesterday's show. That said, you look at everyone else still alive. You've got top seed. Uh, uh, excuse me. You've got second seed, Daniil Medvedev, who advanced fairly comfortably. Straight sets three and one against a, a match where... Again, you'd think Albert Ramos on a slower, high-bouncing surface might have been a little bit tricky. It was not for Daniil Medvedev. Your other seeds uh, in the event this week, Stefano Tsitsipas, who were under comfortable straight side, went over Kukushkin to keep things off. You've got fourth-seeded and Tel Aviv champion Novak Djokovic getting his matches in here to end the season. He'll take on Christian Green tomorrow. That match could be available uh, with our friends at Tennis Channel. Hopefully, it sneaks on to T2 somehow, so we'll be able to call a little bit of it, but I'm going to go ahead and say the mothership's probably going to hog that one to themselves, justifiably so. That said, Andre Rublev looked good in round one. He's the fifth seed, sixth seed here this week, pulled out of the event, I believe, and therefore, yeah, he did, uh, sixth seed did pull out of this event, so you've got seventh seeded Hubie Hercots, eighth seeded Felix knocked out already, and then ninth seeded Marin Cilic taking the place of that fill-in in the draw. Let me just ask you this, Nate. Who's the player you're most interested in now? Uh, this week in Astana. Let's. I'll say mm, that's tough. Give me this draws loaded. I'm actually most interested in Hubie Hercotch. I'll say. I uh, love that pick. Make the case. Hubie Hercotch. You got a slow hardcore here. So, I mean, first off, can, can you? The forehand is important for me to start off with Hubie. Can he hit the forehand with some authority and hit corners and play offensively? Come to the net not play this cat and mouse type tennis that he gets kind of trapped into where he kind of just seems to like try to entertain himself with just playing this kind of cute and cut up tennis where he's just not painting the ball back to the baseline and coming in and knocking off a volley. Like you're six foot six, use your weapons, use your big serve, get to the front court, use your soft hands, your elite hands. You're one of the best volleyers in the world. Make sure your opponent can feel you and get after it. Like a guy like Bublik, that's a great matchup on paper. Bublik's at home, but Bublik had ups and downs in his match against Greekspor. I've watched him try to finish that match off. You could have not. just stopped, by the way, Bublik's had ups and downs and just yeah. be like, period. No, that's true. <laughs> no, but I, I need to see if Hubie can like really make some noise. And if I really like, I want to know if I can believe in this guy going forward as a real threat and a contender at ATP 500s and 1000s and, and so on. I mean, I think at the ATP 500 level, he'll find success, but like, I just don't, trust Hubie yet in the biggest matches and it's mostly the slams I'm referring to I need to see if he can beat the guys he's supposed to beat this week and even get an upset potentially in, in the next round against City Pass is a matchup I want to see so I really like that pick for a couple of reasons a Hubie actually has been really good at the Masters 1000s events particularly the Masters 1000 hard court events over the course yeah. of the past few years obviously won Miami and you know the big thing I want to point out though and you said this so brilliantly on this surface, slow, high bouncing. What mm-hmm. is the sneaky, effective play? Kick serve out wide, serve yep. and volley. 
The mm-hmm. only way you're going to be able to take time away from people is, to your point, by moving forward. And you could argue of everyone left in the draw, Novak excluded, it's Hubi Hercats, who is the best volleyer in this draw this week in Kazakhstan. Sure. And, to you know, Indian Wells, slow. It's outdoors, but it's a high-bouncing, slow hardcourt. Last three seasons, Hubi Hercats, quarterfinals, quarterfinals, then a round of 16 lost to Andre Rublev this year. He has proven, you know, again, this surface benefits him because that serve may be 5% less effective here on this surface, but you're also indoors, which is just another added benefit for the six foot six guy. And you just feel like there will be opportunities for him to play his game. He'll have a little bit more time to load on that forehand wing. He always has had that special backhand and is an exceptional mover and can show off that physicality on this surface. But to your point, the wrinkle of him serving and volleying and having that ability to end points quickly and to earn points freely, that could be the biggest difference this week as you look in the draw at, you know, again, the non-Djokovic category of players. And he had success in Canada, reaching the final, losing the Cranabusta, but that's a faster court. I, I was surprised a little bit by that result, how well he did there. On the return of serve, this, this surface should also benefit him. He's another guy like Cresty who has that great compact backhand. When you try to kick a ball into his backhand, he can redirect and punish it down the line so easily. Like start coming to the net behind one of those juicy returns and the forehand should be able to hold up on the return of serve better with the slower bounce as well. So I, I, I do expect, I mean, Bublik's obviously serving in the 130s, so that's going to be tough regardless. But I do think Hubie should have success on this type of surface. And being the best baller, I just don't know if he makes the top guys feel him as much as he should. I mean, I, I really, really want to see him play Sitsipas in that next round. So Bublik and him should be popcorn. I'm, I'll, I'll say it goes three sets, and I think Hubie wins it. The reason Hubie's also the player to watch this week, he's ninth in the points race right now. He's 20 points behind Alex Zverev. One more victory, he beats Bublev. He will pass Zverev, and he's not going to give that spot up. He'll then be in that, you know, again, in the mix with— and Novak Djokovic has clinched a fifth berth, but let's, you know, do we know if Rafa's going to play or not? No. And therefore, Hubie, by virtue of being in that eighth-place position, first alternate, you know, in the lead by— Right now, uh, 300, excuse me, 295 points over Taylor Fritz. Hubie's a guy to watch this week. I very much like that. Of course, to your point, though, you know, and Hubie, second round loss at the U.S. Open was disappointing. First round loss to Isner Cincinnati, disappointing. The loss to Snego in France, not exactly the best either. I like to see him go on a run, particularly with so many of his best peers in this event. That said, I'll just straight up ask, give me your prediction. Finals champion, who you got in this event? By the way, any strong reaction to Hatchinov over Cressy? I know that's your guy. I knew Hatchinov was going to win that match. It's just like the simpler the game plan, the better the Hatchinov. I was bummed about that result because I'm a Cressy fan. I'm Hatchinov has kind of won me over with his U.S. Open play play and just how he handled himself. It was good momentum carryover. It's a very for sure. He handled himself in a hostile environment, and I thought he was very mature about how he kind of went about business there. So. I became kind of a Hatchinoff fan, but Cressy just, I just respect a guy that sticks to his guns and just stays disciplined with their game plan and rides it out for the long haul. I, and I thought Cressy kind of made an imprint on the game this year. And I thought he could kind of put a staple to this year uh, with a good strong finish, but it's a tough matchup in round one. Um, in the final, I will take. You go ooh, out of the bottom. Novak on the bottom. I know. I'm thinking, I'll take. Or Hatchinoff, maybe. Or Chilich, weapons, no, it's tough. slow court. I'm going to go Novak just because the guy seems like he's mentally fresh. And when he's mentally fresh and physically fresh, Novak also looks like he seemed to put on a little bit of muscle with that off time he had. He just looks a little bit bigger and a little stronger, which I think it's the way to go as he gets a little bit um, older and needs to put a little more beef on the ball. So give me Djokovic out of the bottom half and give me – I'll go ahead and ride him out. Uh, Hubie Hercotch going to make some noise here, take down Tsitsipas, and then take down Rublev to get to the final against Djokovic. Djokovic takes Hubie down in three. According to Tennis Abstract, Djokovic, 20.4% chance of winning the event. Medvedev, 19.3. Rublev, 18.1. Tsitsipas, 16.6. Yeah, I'm picking Novak. He's on the warpath. Like, how can you not pick him to win this title? And he didn't drop a set in Tel Aviv. Now he gets to, with all due respect to that Tel Aviv draw, now he gets to play the big boys. And no one has been licking their chops more for this opportunity than Novak Djokovic. And like, not that he ever needs the extra motivation, but you're telling me I'm getting an additionally motivated Novak Djokovic, who also, to your point, has played 
four or five total tour level matches since Wimbledon. Yeah, I'm taking Novak. <sighs> you took Hubi. I'll take Rublev. Why not? Just to be a little bit different here, but uh, certainly going to be. I don't trust the haircut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that reasoning. So I'm in on that. That said, let's move on to our next upset of the day. Kasparud recently turned world number two top seed in Tokyo this week. Knocked out by a guy who's made a jump. Not the leap, but a jump in Jaume Munar this season. Munar, 8-10 uh, on the hard courts this year, was 9-24 and at the ATP level on hard courts entering the season. So I think that's pretty clear-cut progress. Physically, the 25-year-old is just the definition of a grind. Like, if you're not ready to put in 30 minutes, uh, 30 minutes, if you're not ready to put in two and a half hours, excuse me, 30 minutes and two and a half hours, slightly different framework, folks. Again, not operating on the most sleep here, so my brain may not always work. If you're not ready to put in two and a half hours against Moonart, you're just not going to beat him. And even after the match, Rude said, I overscheduled. I just, I shouldn't have played as many matches as I did in Asia. I probably should have skipped this part of the swing. Again, no excuses. Moonart just, Rude couldn't beat Moonart today. Moonart just gave him nothing for free. And Rude, much like Alcaraz, Rude didn't have it. No, I, I got to watch Munar and Berrettini tag balls for a couple hours in Cincinnati. And he was just talking like through the through the session, just like my form is coming back. And he was just very confident in how his progression was going. So I've been keeping my eye on him and I was kind of waiting for him to have a result. Like I didn't expect him to beat a top five player, but I expected him to kind of make some noise here. And just to tune Rude's three and three was super impressive. I mean, three and three, three and three, no answers. I mean, just in an hour and a half of action to get to kind of get rid of Rude, who's going to make balls, uh, and you have to hit through him basically. I mean, that's that's a tough task. So huge win for Munar. I just thought he played so well under control, went for it when he had chances, uh, just but stayed stayed kind of comfortable and relaxed during the rally to just not overhit and let Rude make mistakes. And once mistake once mis mistakes started kind of coming in, in bunches for Rude, he seemed to get out of sorts there quickly, and it, it kind of just tumbled away. Now, you ever have to do half-court, cross-court drilling growing up? I'm sure you did. I love it. I love I think, cross-court. You know what? I've been here in L.A., and uh, one of my friend, dear friends from my club tennis team lives out here as well. And because we're very close friends, you know, if you go hit with someone random, you can't be like, hey, you want to drill half-court? You're not. Like, yeah, it's just like that is, be a homie. that is a major faux pas, right? We agree. Tennis etiquette 101, you can't do that. Like, um, yeah, it's got to be one of your top – three or four guys that you had to call. Exact. You're like, yo, can we get some cross courts in? Like, I feel bad even asking for short court, but when I go to cross courts, I'm like, this has got to be a guy that's down to get down with it. He's just got to be in your rotation to your, he he's got to be in the core group of hitting partners. And <laughs> thankfully I am with one of my core group guys and we both played a ground stroke game. Four hands didn't go well for either of us. And we were, we're I was like, Hey, like, can we just go half court cross court for like 15 minutes? And he goes, dude, I'm so happy you asked. Like, yes. Like, let's do it. And we just grinded for 15 minutes. Cause it was like, why? Like, I don't have anyone else I can do this with at this point of my life. And you're here now. So like, we have to do it. Grusky, anytime you're in town, you can ask me to go cross court tags. I'm ready for it. Here's the problem. Your forehand might be a little bit too big. So it's just like, I will be <laughs> like, you'll just be like, are you really, you left it short again. And I'd be like, yeah, but just wait till you see the backhand. It's money. Um, and that's the problem. The forehand right now is just a mess. I can hit it. I've always – so I grew up with two brothers who are lefties. So, like, hitting the inside-out forehand or hitting a forehand down the line is just, like, part of my repertoire because you play with lefties growing up. Now you're playing righties, and you're just picking on their backhand the whole time. Um I, the forehand cross has abandoned me, Nate. It just – it sometimes it's home. Sometimes it's not. That's man, you got to get that lesson from Sasha Zverev, man. And you know, when I hit it on the run, it's great because it's instinctual. But if my feet are set, yep, uh, it's just like you think you're not mention. you're not getting that right hip around the outside of the ball. I can already tell. It's more than the hip, my friend. It's just <laughs> it's a disaster. We've I've been messing around with the grips. I'm like, do I just need to go a little bit more extreme now that I'm old? I can't play as flat on that side as I once did. And honest to God, the answer might be yes, which is just. It's devastating. Devastating from an ego perspective. That said, um, I have no qualms about Rude either. I'm in a very friendly mood today. We're playing glass half full here at Crack Rack. It's like, did Rude play well? No. We, we talked about it on the backhand poorly. Yes. Like, yeah. all things we already knew about him. I, I'd rather focus on the physicality of Munar. 
Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm with you there. I do think like it's still crazy to see Casper Rude in the top five for me right now, but because I do expect him to have losses like this throughout the calendar year. Like this may be a, a, a scheduling loss, but even without that, I expect him next season to have losses similar, like at, at a, to those guys similarly ranked, maybe in the first round. He's just not like if he's not feeling himself physically, he's going to have some trouble hitting through guys. And I like he's still going to win 70. 75% of his matches, but um, I, I do expect him to have some fumbles. I mean, like most of these guys do. Mm-hmm. You know who's had a tough season, but at times to me, I think is the most underrated player in professional tennis, and let's get in trouble here. I feel like if you dropped him with a time machine into 1998, they'd be like, what is this sorcery? Like, how the, like, what are you doing with that tennis racket? How many performance-enhancing drugs are you on? It's Sun Wukwan who gets a straight set win over Alex Diemenauer. Look, it's been a tough year for Quan, 21 and 28 overall this season. You look for him in just first round matches here this year. He's 15 and eight overall, but had a rough patch where he lost. I think it was, yes, uh, five out of seven and, you know, six out of eight, uh, five out of seven, six out of nine in the middle of the season. As such, he's fallen outside of the top 100. I mean, that said, Oh my God. It's just like, it's so clean from the baseline and Diemenauer just couldn't hurt him today. No, great. As well as Quan is a great content follow on Instagram. I mean, <laughs> I love guys that put their practice session clips on social. Yeah. I'm a, that's like, I got a weak spot for it. Kakanakis has been doing it. Quan has done it. Nishioka does it off sometimes. I'm always going to be a fan of those guys, but Quan is just, he's another radical guy. He strikes the ball beautifully, just an all around game. Doesn't have one massive weapon, but just everything is so solid. And if you leave the ball hanging, he's going to make it hurt more than ever. I feel like I saw the forehand cross court hit for a winner more against Demonar than I've probably ever seen Quan hit in his life. And he's playing against probably the fastest guy in the world on the tour. So I don't know what that means, but Quan's been adding a little bit more beef on the ball and the ball's getting more pace through the court. And he was hitting the ball with authority. I mean, when he's confident right now and he's throwing his body at every ball, you, there's more body behind the, like, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, it's not just his arm. He's no. throwing weight to every shot right now. Schwartzman, one. Baez, two. Quan three in terms of just getting that weight behind the ball. And honestly, put Ricardus Barrancas in that conversation as well. Another guy who gets all the ball. You know what we get tomorrow? Two of the best ball strikers in professional tennis. Mackie McDonald versus Sun Wukwan. That's like your, that's your tennis hipster match of the day. I'm going to, can we brand it? Should we get a sound effect from Westoff tennis hipster match of the day? Westoff, throw some sort of sound effect in there. I, I definitely need that. We need to put that on on the gram. You guys got to throw that up in Tech Tennis Ball. We'll, we'll share that. That's definitely a new a new uh, weekly segment. I think we need a hipster match of the week. Yeah. Maybe on every Tuesday. Match of the week is tough because you just never know where it's going to go. But, yeah, but no, 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 you're right. Your match – no, no, I like that. I like that. That's definitely – that's probably my hipster t- – I mean, this week you need to be the hipster. Yeah, I can tell to make a graphic for this. Yeah, this if fun. you really wanted to go out, you'd be like, I don't know, man, that Munar Martinez match, like licking my lips for it. Do you know – there may That's be no thing David Kane makes fun of me more than I once called Pedro Martinez a dark horse at the French Open. And when I said dark horse, I didn't mean to win the event. I meant as an unseated guy to make the second week. And when I say every time Pedro Martinez does anything, I get a dark horse question mark text from David Kane, which is hilarious. But like <laughs> the amount of Pedro Martinez slaughter I have taken over the year. It's like, I'm sorry that this is the one podcast you can turn to for five minutes of Martinez content every month, but like, don't hate us. I always just like the amount of, you know, again, the amount of grief I've taken for my Martinez takes over the years. Guy's a monster. Somebody's got to keep you accountable, man. I, I love it. David Kane. Keep yeah, it up. DK's my guy. Um, all right. That said, Fun matches tomorrow. Nishioka favored against Kesmanovic. That feels a little hot takey. Um, but Nishioka, obviously, will there be a hangover from last week? We'll find out. Fritz back in action coming off of his COVID diagnosis. Chapo, a very advantageous matchup against Stevie Johnson right now. Uh, Francis Tiafo, Nick Kyrgios, each advancing comfortably in their opening round victories. Borna Chorich, same deal. He plays Nakashima in what might be your match of the day. Apologies, you hear the plane overhead. That's what happens when you try to do a podcast outside. Leave it in, though. Tells you the environment we're at here uh, on today's show. That said, Nate Dog, who's winning this event? I would take King Kings. Give me Kyrgios to win this title. I just don't, like, I wish I knew how much he had in the gas tank mentally, like if he was actually locked in, but he looked damn good yesterday 
or today, whenever that was when I watched him play and sang. Um, I, I just like the way he, he, he can he adjust so well. Whatever surface it is, obviously not counting clay, whether it's a fast hard court, grass, slow hard court, he just has so many different options he can go to. I've already seen him play Fritz recently. I, I think I know how that matchup kind of goes. So if, if Keegs is locked in mentally, I think he gets out of the bottom half. Um, I mean, I, who, who gives him the most trouble? Maybe Korich? I don't know. I think I think he just has or too many weapons. Inform Nakashima. You could argue Brandon's playing as well as anyone in this draw now. That's true. No, that's true. Nakashima's been playing very well. I still just don't trust the forehand quite yet. I, I think it's it's coming. It's gotten a lot better. Um, can it hold up and make guys? Uh, can it hurt guys when he when he needs to really lay it on and kind of go back from defense to offense and kind of step on it a little bit? I don't know. Especially a guy against a guy against Curious. I'll take Curious out of the bottom half. Give me. Give me – that's a tough top half. Give me Tia. I don't know who I trust. Tiafo. I guess I trust Tiafo. I mean, that top half is tough. Um, none of those guys I feel like has a massive edge against anybody now that Root is out. Um, could Dan Evans make a run, I guess. But I just trust the weapons of Tiafo, I guess, the most. So Tiafo versus Kyrgios, a rematch of DC final, and I'll take – I'll take Curious to win it. I just feel like Curious is like, you know, I'm in Japan. This could be like big for the brand. This could be like a big, big time title for me to take home and gain another million followers on the gram. I'll, I'll try. I'll tell you what, the best thing that could happen is if Nishioka goes back to back and wins in front of his home country in Tokyo, because now that, I mean, again, always electric when a player can win from their home country. I'll root for that for sure. You know, that would be exceptional. It is worth noting. Trial has taken the next steps, and it's not just worth noting. It's worth discussing significantly. Trials have taken the next step in Nick Tyrio's case. He's been accused of assault in Australia from an ex-girlfriend. I am not well-versed enough in the trial details. I know Nate isn't either, not to speak for you, Nate. We're not going to touch on that today. I am going to bring someone more well-versed in all aspects of that topic to discuss because that's a significant storyline and it's another significant player as we've discussed on the ATP tour facing serious allegations that the ATP tour remains silent about and that's just unacceptable from a sporting perspective you can't have a league just again be absent-minded when it comes to some of the biggest issues that it faces that's a discussion for a different time I do think for Nick Kyrgios, he has been so focused on the tennis because there are some other things happening in his life, and it's just trying to take care of everything so that, you know, life is where it needs to be to deal. I don't want to call it adversity because, again, it's significant allegations that he brought about himself, but we've seen this focus, Nick Kyrgios, throughout the course of the year. And so I don't think it's a bad pick. I do think he is locked in. I do think he didn't play Labor Cup and as such has had some time to rejuice the batteries. And he looked pretty gassed by the end of that U.S. Open. His serve is going to be a nightmare for my check to deal with. I don't know. Fritz is getting by Duckworth post-COVID. Just like need to see his form before I take any trust in it. I've seen Kyrgios who looked fine against Sung Chin Sin. I want to pick Nakashima really badly. To make the final. I am all in on Brandon's serve right now. He's just serving so extraordinarily well. But let's ride together. I'll ride with you. Kyrgios would be a very, very entertaining final from a tennis perspective. And I really hope we get it. And so I'm going to lean with you. You took Kyrgios. I'll take Tiafo in that exchange just to flip their DC result. That said, those are your two ATP 500s. Two extraordinary events. I did... About 15 minutes on the WTA event in Ostrava yesterday. Now, I had the chance to call uh, some of the matches in Ostrava today. In particular, one of the matches I thoroughly enjoyed was Daria Kasatkina's 6-4-7-5, uh, excuse me, seven five six four victory over Emma Raducanu. Raducanu played well. And I just would like to say, and I've alluded to this whenever we've spoken about her over the past few weeks here on this show, so I apologize for repeating myself to you listeners. Her forehand looks so much better over the course of the past month. And I know she lost today, but she lost today's match playing exactly how she needs to play moving forward. And there were times when the forehand sprayed on her or went into the net. There were times when maybe given the particular point, she shouldn't have gone as big on a second serve return as she did. In particular, I think it was 
30, 15, or 15 all in that five uh, final 5-4 service game in that second set where she had an opening and she missed. I think it was Love 15, actually, that she missed an easy second server turn bunny. I'm talking hanging curveball, 70 miles per hour match. She misses that backhand return in the net, which, again, Love 15 down. You know, up Love 15, but down 5-4. You just have to make that return in the court. That said, like, I'm glass half full. A, Kasakina is some sort of athlete. And just her ability, if she gets her racket on the ball, it's going surface line or deeper, and it's going wherever she wants to put it. But I do think Radakana is the biggest story. Apologies. I want to let you talk, of course, as well on both of these players. I was thoroughly, again, I watched this match. I was on the broadcast from start to finish. I have no criticism of Radakana's game plan. She just needs to execute 10% better. And had she done so, she would have beaten a top 10 player today or a top 12 player, excuse me. Like, I think the answer is to be glass half full here. I couldn't agree more. I was actually thinking that the whole way through and then went, went back and watched the highlights just to kind of re- reaffirm what I thought. The ball striking from both players was exceptional. It was probably the most fun match of the round one that I saw. And Kasekina's, it's it's kind of an abnormal forehand with how she gets her elbow up high. It's but all hands. It's, it's literally just like, it's look, I mean, this is, you remember the song, look at the flick of the wrist. Like <laughs> that's, that's all it is. She just like flicks the wrist. It is. And the elbow gets up high, but it allows her, you would think it would kind of cause room for error, but it actually allows her to generate angles. Uh, whether it's the, mostly the short cross court angle that I'm referring to at a very like consistent uh, pace. I mean, like I'm just at a, a consistent clip. I mean, I was just surprised how well she could change the direction and find a shorter angle to get Emma more off the court to open it up for her backhand. And Kasekina just competes so well. I mean, she was not going to give Emma anything, and I couldn't agree more. It was probably the cleanest match I've seen Radakanu play in some time. I felt like she competed well. I felt like she kept her mental straight the whole way through. She seemed like she has a, a real kind of game plan in mind, and um, she she stayed with it. It didn't work out for her, but – I mean, that's just what happens when you play against a, an elite talent, a top 10 player, top 12 player, whatever Kasekina is. I know she's up there now in the rankings. And she's just – you have to you have to play your A game to beat those players when they're on their day. It's not like – if Kasekina's not having a, a, a bad day, it's like you have to bring your best game. And Radikan, who came close, but just didn't execute, like you said, at the highest possible level. And that's why she just came up a bit short. She may not have had A, but there were times when it was A-. minus. Mm-hmm. And certainly was never lower than B plus. And mm-hmm. I do think that's Crazy. notable for Radakanu, who has fallen outside the top 50, but is still one of just six teenagers inside the top 100. Yes, she went 17 and 19. But again, these past four weeks has been the most encouraging stretch of play. Quick workshop for you. You chuckled at look at the flick of the wrist. I'm pretty sure that was our freshman year of college, right? Or like summer going into sophomore year, if my memory serves me correctly. For sure. If I drop that reference on T2 the next time I'm broadcasting a Kasakina match, do people enjoy it at home or are they like, what is he saying? Was flick of the wrist that popular? Look at that. What, what year did this come out? This came what? out in... Because uh, it was it? a thing, right? 2014. Yeah, so freshman year summer. Good memory, Grosky. All right, no, Still got it. Definitely drop the reference. That's a that's a great song. But her her forehand, it just kept. I'm like, wow, she really that is that is her forehand. Like watching over and over again. I'm like, she just continues to get that crazy angle with that abnormal type type of technique. But no, Kasekina, she's intimidating. I I don't know if I want to play against her. She seems like she's a scary one to go up against in the between the ring. Let's do a make my day alert next time Kasekina plays. If any one of you listeners at Nate Walrith at Al Gruskin. Just next time you see her hit a forehand winner, tweet at us. Look at the flick of the wrist. We will both be immensely grateful to whatever listener does that. You will have our gratitude forever, and maybe we'll throw you a a tennis point shock absorber uh, as well. That said, again, looking at this draw, loaded. And what's hilarious is that, and I think it's like 11 of the top 20 players are playing in Ostrava this week. And yet, Iga Sviatek's a 49.9% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, to win the event. The next closest, Annette Conteve, 8.5%. Sakari's at 8.3%. If Krachikova is well-rested, Nate, shout-out to you, shout-out to me. You pushed me into picking her last week, made me look smart in the end. Shout-out to my eyes as well for seeing Krachikova clearly had returned to that 2021 level, indoor hardcourt, in her home country, are you going with Iga or are you going with the field? 
Give me, give me the field. Wow. I'll, yeah, I'll give you Ego or the field, by the way. You can pick. You don't even have to give me a specific name. No, give me the – I mean, Ego just seemed like – she seemed invincible for a heavy <laughs> chunk. And I feel like once you just – once that gets exposed, like, and you just doubt yourself a slight, a slight bit, it's just hard to kind of get that invincibility back where you feel like no matter what the score is, you can fight back, get that – even if you're down two breaks, you can fight back and just kind of scrap out a win, but – uh, it just seems like it's a little bit tougher when you lose that mental edge of confidence. And I think these, the players now, the tour is so deep. You play in so many tough players uh, round one to the finish line. It's you got to bring your at least your A minus game, even if you're world number one. So I think Svantec on a slower hard court isn't able to find the pace through the court and kind of hit players off the court like she can with her stubbornness sitting on the baseline and redirecting. I think she'll have a couple of cough ups. And I think this is. Uh, a little bit of a slower court for her. I think she may have a, uh, may, may drop a, we'll say if she gets to the semis. So we have a lot of Ega fans who listen to this podcast who have been so kind in engaging with us on social media. And I'm immensely grateful for that fact, particularly given, I think we're going to be talking a lot about Ega on this show as it continues, hopefully over the course of the next decade. Wow. Well, I'd be doing a mini break on Tuesday, October 4th, 2032. I say it's plus 125 odds. Would you take it? That you're doing a mini break in 10 years from now? Yeah. Give me plus 125. It no, should be a... it's probably minus 110 both ways. Give me – I think you better stay faithful to, to, to your own. Yeah, concern. I'll be doing it. Let's feel – what else will yeah. I be doing? I, I'll take it. Now? Yeah, that's a good bet. Here's the point. I'm afraid what I say next might be construed as criticism of Iga, but I cannot emphasize this enough. It's not. Iga didn't play well when winning the U.S. Open title. She played three good sets of tennis in New York by her standards, not by the WT, not by, you know, match in, match out in a vacuum, what each of those match looked like standards, but by Iga's standards, first set against Jabur, first set against Pagula, second set against Sabalenka. Like, those are really – and if you want to say first round against Paulini, fine. No, I don't think she played that well against Sloan. Like, yeah. I just like – and that's what made her run so remarkable. And that's where I'm saying it's not a diss to Iga Sviantec. It's a compliment to her. The fact that she did not play well in New York, and yet she won the freaking major. She is that sort of force of nature now on tour would be my pushback to your point. Um that's fair, but she and gets Kamalovich in round one. Like, the yeah, but I love that matchup because it's just like talk about someone, and I love Yaila, who just like can't hurt her. Where it's just like you don't have the distinct, the uh, definitive weapon that you can repeat over time to break Iga down with. And if you don't have that, with all due respect, you're just not beating her unless it's Alize Cornet at Wimbledon. But grass court tennis doesn't count. And so, like, <laughs> I kind of love that Tomjanovich is her first opponent on this new indoor hard court surface, and like. Come on, so, Isla. Okay, it's like, again, the floor, I'm not playing well, I win the U.S. Open. The ceiling, I'm playing well, I win 37 consecutive matches. Anywhere within that range, she's winning this event. So I'll take Ego over the field in this instance. Uh, but, like, good case. there are a lot of names I like in the field. Like, again, if you had to pick one name in the field, who would it be? That was not Ego? That it's not Ego. Um, I'll say... Definitely not, but I, I wasn't – I didn't – I thought the match was pretty well played. I'll go with Rybakina. I like that pick. That's a really I, good – That was a, that was a fun matchup. Like, with her and Keys, I, I think Rybakina has the weapons, has the athleticism, has the length that cause problems. Like, she's she's I, she's pretty good off the baseline defending, too. She can get the ball back from neutral from a defensive to neutral better than most people that are six foot one on the women's side. Um, I think she has the she can do damage off the both wings, obviously, with her power. Um I'll say her and then I mean Krachikova. I mean, I guess if Krachikova's able to find her fitness from recover and recover pretty quickly here, that's another fun one to, to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah, I they're all good. I thought Alexandrova was just unreal against Azarenka in round one. And ECAT's run really hot when she's run hot this year. So that's an interesting one to me on the top half. She's hot and cold, though. Yeah. If it's not Rabakin, which is a great pick, I'll go Benchich. I'm just like, I'm so convinced Belinda Benchich is playing the best tennis of her. That was a tough, 
Tough first round match, though. Yeah, but she kind of got, you know, she's up 4-2 in the first set. She loses it, but then she pulls away from Jeannie down the home stretch. And I like getting calloused early in the event. I just like, again, the numbers would suggest it. The win percentage would suggest it. She was bad at the majors this year, but this was the best tennis Belinda Bencic has played in her career. And I think she's better right now than she has ever been from a movement perspective. I think she's as confident in her weapons as she's ever been. I don't know. I might still take 16-year-old Bencic over this version of Belinda Bencic because 16-year-old Belinda Bencic, pre-any injuries, was just nails. Um, but I'll take Bencic in the bottom half. That's it. I'm riding with Iga in the title. I still like this draw is awesome, though. This might be my favorite event of the week. That said, let's move on to our final event now in Monastir. And it's hilarious that this is the 250 of the week, and yet... World number two, Owen Jabir in play. Very impressive victory for her in straight sets. Round number one over Ann Lee. My player of the day is Petra Martic. And I happen to call the 31-year-old's victory straight sets over 17-year-old Linda Fruvertova. She just is so relentless attacking the net. And I think she might be the best volleyer in women's tennis. Her ability to get Fruvertova stretched and to close things out up, uh, up at the net, it, it was just... It was damn clean tennis. I don't know how else to describe it. And, you know, again, she's been sneaky solid this year. More victories for her at the tour level than any year prior in her career. I mean, that said, Kudermatova very much alive in the in the year-end uh, finals race. She needs at least semifinals here this week. And Cruz dropping just one game in her opening round victory. Mertens played it. her best match of the year. Two games lost in her first match couple former world junior number ones in Anastasia Potapova, Diane Perry to keep an eye on, former junior slam champion and player who has taken a jump this year. 21-year-old American Claire Liu uh, looked pretty good in her round win over Konya. You know, all that said, Jabir, 47.2% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Kudermatova, 227 Then there's a big drop-off to the rest of the field. We haven't done it yet. You go in one versus two seed here in the final, or do you think things get I, funky? No, I, I love Kudermatova. I just – I love how she competes. She just regroups so well, point in and point out. Sneaky firepower with how little she is, like, physically. And she moves great. Uh, I'm a big fan of Kunamatova. So, I'll take – and Ons look, just looks so good. Ons' overheads are, like, for her, like, she's not that tall, but she finds the back of the ball so well and can, like, doesn't ever feel the need to pop the overhead. Just puts the angle on it so well. Are you ready I, for this hot take? Because I love that. Is Petra Martic just diet own Jabir? Like, like you know, the way Coke is to diet Coke. You know, she is the to Jabir what, you know, that's Jabir. Jabir's Coke. She's diet Coke. I don't hate that comparison. That's yeah. for sure. I feel like it's um, nicer to make that analogy. Nobody has hands like own Jabir, though. Well, that's uh, what I'm saying. In the best volleyer conversation, there are your first two names that come to mind for me. That's fair. That's, no no that's disrespect fair. to like the Ellen Perez's of the world or the number of outstanding doubles players who are. Ons is in a league of her own. I think she's one of the like most talented humans on this earth with a racket <laughs> in her hand. Like, it's, not a bad, it's not a bad take. Talk about another. Remember the play. shot? She had like a three sixty drop volley like in the middle of this year. Some at some point, like she just does things that nobody else can do. The, the racket is literally an extension of her hand, and I don't say that about everybody. And I think she just. Her and Herkoch are in a league of their own as far when it comes to just having fun on the tennis court with different spins and different drop shots. It's, it's stupid. You ready for that club? It's her. It's Bernard Tomic, who was the, like, in our age group, that was the original, like, is there anything this guy can't do with a racket? Um, no comments on him personally. I'm just saying, again, tennis-wise. Kozlov was the next-generation version of Tomic. And yeah, Jabir's on, like, those are the three people who, like, you put a racket in their hand, and it really does feel like, tell them to try this shot, and they'll be able to pull it off. And, like, there are other names we're probably forgetting on this list. You know where to find us on Twitter if you'd like to add players to this list. Oh but God. Jabir, Tomic, Marion Bartoli. Oh, that's a good name. That That's a good name to throw Fabrice on this and Toro. list. If some could argue he was the originator. I don't, I don't, I don't know Fabrice's game quite well enough to. I mean, Fabrice was so. What I've heard by reputation, yes, he is probably the name. It's probably the Fabrice. It's the Santoro players. Go back and watch his best shots on YouTube. Give me homework. This is your homework. Just watch his highlight reel, and you will not believe that a player has the imagination to pull off the shots he has. It's, it's the, it's an elite club, and Anzjabur is one of the captains or co, co captains of that club, and I. 
I, I try not to miss many of her matches, especially when she's got a, a like a big time heavyweight battle. So Ons versus Kudermatova in the final. Give me Kudermatova finds enough firepower to hit Ons off the court. I'll take the upset. Give me Kudermatova. All right, I'll go the other way. I'll take Owens in her home country. This event is only here. I mean, it's not only here, but the big reason why it's there is because of Owens. Um, I'll take Thank her you. in front of a home crowd to get the job done, but I think it's going to be extraordinarily exciting. That said, the only thing better than this week of tennis was probably this episode, Nate Dog. Uh, this was an absolute delight. I'm thoroughly pleased with everything we've discussed. And with that said, I offer the final words of this show to you. Any tennis point things we should know about? Where can we find what you're doing? Any final thoughts on the week? No, I appreciate it. Um, all I know is I do need to get you on our Pure Tennis Podcast ASAP. Uh, we, we just finished a fun episode yesterday. So, guys, if you have some free time, you got to commute, check out the Pure Tennis Podcast. We've uh, just done some fun. We, we did our top shoes of the year. We did our top non-slam tournaments of the year. And then we just did some fun storylines of kind of who we have our eyes on under 25. We all got to pick one player that was under 25 and not a top 10. So Actually, not we, Alcaraz or Sinner. Not Alcaraz. And we still had somebody pick Alcaraz. But basically, <laughs> yeah. I was like, come on, guys. Pick somebody that's not number one in the world. But, no, a fun episode. And, guys, on the tennis point end, it's going to be fun. I'll be uh, hopefully seeing Gruskin out in California at the ITA Fall Nationals in November that should be electric looking forward to covering that and it's going to be a fun just team yellow tour year too we're just ramping it up for another fun ride will you have a car of course so i will be in la that week actually wait um, did you say well i have a car in la yeah well, it's in san diego oh, that's what i meant though but you'll be in san diego with a car I'll, i will rent a car so i don't think it's that far from san diego to la I will not have a car, but I believe I will be here for that yeah. week doing, I believe, more things with Tennis Channel, hopefully. Um, and we'll also be on the call for those fall mats. We may have to have a chance encounter. Figure out some sort of way to – because, you know, 101, 405, directions, highway jokes, California. Well, you need a link. The thing is we're both late-night people, so I'd be like, hey, you want to come pick me up at 2? And you'd be like, <laughs> in. You'd be like, yeah, I'll come get you. Uh, and so we'll These kids don't sleep out here. Yeah, no, we're on the grind, listening. Nate Dog. We're on the grind. We got, we got things I'm, to do. I'm definitely the kid in the family that if someone's sick or, like, can't sleep, I always get that text or call. It's like always <laughs> like – Hey, I'm sick. I'm like, okay, I'm at my house. I'm definitely awake. If you want to FaceTime me, let's whatever. It's so funny. Yeah, see, my brothers know unless they call me after 10 p.m. or during normal hours, I'm not going to pick up because <laughs> from 5 to 9, which is when normal humans discuss, 5 to 9 p.m., that's prime podcasting hours because it's like, oh, you're free. You know who else is free? Baylor men's tennis coach Michael Woodson. And I love you, Eric, but I got to talk to him for work. Um, and so uh, with all that said, Appreciate you taking the time, as always. Always appreciative of Super Producer Daniel Westhoff, who has a of an editing job to do day in, day out. And I asked him for some new sound effects here today, so it'll be fun to see what he goes with if he chooses to go with anything. Uh, with that said, a shout-out to our friends at Tennis Point as well, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. But for the fantastic Nate Walworth, our Super Producer Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Nate, what do we tell the people? That's the break, baby. And we will see you all next time. Thank you as always, my man. Thank you. Thank you, Westall. Thank you, Dalton. Appreciate y'all.